0: Our assistant pastor, Nathan Detweiler, has been leading us through a series on James for the past several weeks, Um, and this is actually going to be the second to last message in the book of James. If you have a Bible, we're looking at James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 12. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, you can just raise your hand, the ushers will provide you with one. Again, that's James 5, 7 through 12. And you can follow along as I read. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So the first part of our passage is talking about being patient, being patient. If you read in Galatians 22, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And it starts out by saying the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. What is patience, after all? I, mean, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about patience, the types of things that come to my mind are, you know, getting stuck in a long line at Walmart or something on a weekend, you know. Start getting a little bit frustrated. It's taking forever. Or the situations where, you know, maybe I'm stuck in really slow-moving traffic or trying to talk to somebody about my computer on the phone. I mean, all these are situations where I start to get really frustrated. I, I'm sure that most of us can can uh, resonate with that type of frustration that we get in these sorts of situations. And we all recognize, well, we really should be more patient in these types of situations. But the thing is, is this is really not what our scripture is addressing. This is really not what Galatians is addressing. I mean, being patient in, in a situation where we're confronted with really what are minor inconveniences... That is kind of the expected norm. I mean, that's what we should expect to do. That shouldn't be the unexpected behavior. So like I said, Scripture is really addressing something different here. The Greek word used in Galatians, describing the fruit of the Spirit, can also be translated as endurance, slow to anger, long-suffering, or the patient enduring of evil. Okay, it's definitely a different kind of category here. And this is describing a characteristic in an individual who in the face of legitimate wrong being done to them does not retaliate or respond with anger. So patience, all right? In our passage in James, okay, this is using the verb tense of the same Greek word from Galatians. So rather than patience, the word is be patient. So um, to embrace those characteristics, to be slow to anger, to be long-suffering, to patiently endure evil. And we see how this plays out in the context of the passage. And actually, um, Nathan was speaking on this last week, and really what we're going through today is a response to um, what he was sharing about in the first several verses in chapter 5 in James. Um, In verse 4, so chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And In verse 6, it says, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So these people, these are the, the rich here, they were oppressing the followers of Christ from our passage that we're reading about in very real ways. They were withholding wages, which in that society, which would have had very dire consequences, Um, as well as they were condemning and murdering the innocent. But despite this very serious oppression that they were facing, James calls the followers, the brothers and sisters in Christ, to be patient, to be long-suffering in that endurance of evil. Um, In the second part of verse 7, we see that James gives this visual of a farmer being patient, patiently waiting for for the good thing that is to come. Because, I mean, what does a farmer do? A farmer prepares the land sows the seed, does a bunch of other farmery things while they wait for the crop to grow, which they don't really have any control over. Okay, that's what God does. God grows the crop. So they just patiently wait. And ultimately, through their patient waiting, hopefully, the goal would be is that you have a crop at the end of the day to harvest. Okay, so that is their good thing that is to come. And for the brothers and sisters facing oppression, from our passage, verse 8 tells us, that they are to be patient because their good thing, their crop, is that the Lord is soon gonna be coming, all right? It says, you too, and this is verse eight, it says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Well, what does that mean, the Lord's coming? Like, what, what are we really talking about um, when we read these, these words? Ultimately, this is talking about the future return of Christ. Christ was with God in the beginning, okay, part of the Trinity, He was incarnated, God in flesh, came to earth. He died, was resurrected, and ultimately ascended into heaven at the end of the book of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. And this was all part of God's, which was his divine plan for salvation for mankind. So he ascended into heaven, and then it's prophesied that He is going to return again in the future. So this is the the Lord's coming that that we're reading about in Scripture here. And there's a lot of scripture that talks about this. If you look into Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is actually responding to a question that the disciples have about this. He's answering, you know, what is going to be happening in the coming ages in the future? Um, I want to read for you from 1 Thessalonians that uses the same, same language. It, it uses the words, the Lord's coming. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 15 through 17. It says, according to the Lord's word, So this is a a description from another part of scripture of what is going to happen, at least a portion of what is going to happen during this time period of the Lord coming again, the Lord returning. And we're not going to unpack all that today. I'm not going to really get into that, but I just want you to understand what we are talking about when we look at James verse 7. That's what we're speaking about. This is the beginning of Jesus's return to the planet earth at the end of the age. And not this time, originally when Jesus came to earth, he came as as the suffering servant to atone for the sins of mankind. This time he's coming as the conquering king, as the, the judge of the world, if you will. Now, for those people who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have not submitted to him and accepted the atoning work of his blood, this is horrifying news, okay? Because they're not covered by Jesus's blood. Okay, they don't have that um, covering giving them the righteousness of Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus freely gave his blood for all so that whoever believed in him would should not perish but have eternal life, as it says in John three sixteen. And so for this reason, because the, the brothers and sisters in Christ that we're reading about, they did that. They accepted Jesus as their savior. So to them, Jesus' return is very good news. Okay, And that's why they're called to be patient and wait for the Lord's return. The reason is that in Jesus' return, ultimately Jesus is going is to right every wrong. Those rich oppressors who are spoken about earlier in the chapter, who cheated and murdered, as well as any others who are sinning against people, um, they're going to have to account for those sins. It, it says this in Romans twelve nineteen. "'Do not take revenge, my dear friends,' But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, as Americans, I think a lot of times we really struggle with this idea of God's wrath. Um, I, I think we have this mindset that that's really not necessary because if you were to show somebody unconditional love for long enough, you just keep doing that unconditional love. Eventually, they're going to turn around and, and love you in return. And, and I think this is a little bit of a, a cultural mindset that we have. So when we hear about the wrath of God or God punishing or people going to hell, sometimes we cringe a little bit inside. We think, ah, that doesn't really seem right or it seems maybe a little bit wrong in some ways. But I want to suggest this to you, okay? If, if Jesus, who, who is God, who is without sin and is the essence of love himself. So Jesus was perfect love. It says in in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Jesus is God. If people still hated and killed Jesus, then perhaps not everybody will respond to perfect love even with love. If Lucifer was this angelic being in heaven in the very presence of God for who knows how long, still despite all that, chose... To pursue evil, to pursue sin, okay, then perhaps this idea, this this theory that enough love for long enough will turn every heart is not really accurate, okay? That's perhaps not how really people work. Because after all, we are given the ability to make our own choices and choose our own way. So if love in and of itself, just by itself, does not have the power to transform every heart, that means that some people, and we don't necessarily know who they are, regardless of what we do, what other people do, how we love them, they're still going to choose to pursue evil. You know, Just like Satan choosing to pursue evil regardless of what is being done to them. Nathan actually mentioned at the beginning of service that the extremely tragic and horrific events of ISIS um, and these terrorist attacks in Paris, and also he was talking about in Beirut. I think, though, in light of these types of situations, many of us would, would welcome the idea of of God's justice or some sort of justice being served in this situation. And many of us also may very well welcome the idea of God's wrath being invoked in, in some degree. Because, see, the, the wrath and justice of God is, is terrible to the person who is engaging in evil things. Okay, obviously, that's, that's a terrible thing. Nobody wants to be the recipient of God's wrath. But if you're the man or woman or child, whose life was saved from ISIS, okay, or where justice was served for a loved one who was killed, potentially, to those people, God protecting through justice, through wrath. This is actually an act of love from their perspective. They would, you know, you would see this as an act of love if you were seeing it from their perspective. This is very similar to a parent, Um, if you have a child who is being bullied in school, and you go tell a school, hey, my child's being bullied, can you handle this situation? To your child, that's an act of love, that's an act of protection. Now, to the bully, they may very well get punished in some degree, and they're not going to like that. So a lot of this comes down to what perspective we're, we're looking at things from. But the really cool part about the gospel and about who God is, is that even though he is a judge, he's not an unloving judge. And even in his wrath, there is mercy. It says in in verse 11 that God is full of compassion and mercy, okay? And God offers salvation to everybody. So whether you're, you know, the people being the the recipient of, of terror or you are the terrorist yourself, he offers salvation to all regardless of sins and failings as long as they turn to him, okay? So James calls for being patient, And if you look at verse 10 and 11, you'll see examples of what being patient looks like. It says, As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And James also specifically talks about Job when it says, You have heard heard of Job's perseverance. And perseverance can also be translated as patient endurance. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. For those of you who may not be familiar with Job's story, um, it's recorded in the book of Job in the Old Testament. And although the the book was probably written much later, it's clear based on the description of who Job was, such as he he was a priest for his family, for example. Um, There are characteristics of who he was that make it clear that he lived prior to the time of Moses receiving the law from God. It's also clear, um, based on the description that we have in James, that it's not a fictional story. Sometimes people think about because of the, the conversations that happen in the book of Job that it is just a fictional story. But if that was true, then James would be an heir when he's talking about Job as being a, a historical prophet. I and mean, he's talking about several historical prophets. He's saying, look at these guys as an example. And he's grouping Job amongst those prophets. So not only would James be an heir, but really since scripture itself is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that would mean that to some degree, God would be an heir or, or that God lied, which again, it's not in God's nature to lie. And it doesn't make sense that God would err, being, being that he is all knowing. So as a result, we, we interpret the account of Job as history. In short, the book of Job is about a man who God allowed to undergo a tremendous amount of suffering to the extent that all of his worldly wealth was destroyed or stolen. All of his children were killed and his body was inflicted with with extremely painful sores. And then to top it all off, his wife was super encouraging and basically told him to just give up on life, um, give up on God, and his friends basically blamed all of his suffering on him. Said, hey, this is happening to you because you're sinning. You've been sinning. Um, So if anyone suffered, it was Job, okay? These were a pretty bad situation for him. Yet despite not understanding everything that was going on or why this was happening to him, and he even questioned God about it, he remained faithful, submissive, and obedient to God. And because of his faithfulness, it says at the very end of the book of Job, that the Lord blessed the latter part of his life more than the former. And Job, again, is one of many prophets that are given as an example of what being patient looks like that patience had a fruitful end for Job, similar to how the Christians being addressed in our passage from James will also be blessed. Now, this leads to a difficult question of application, okay? When we we think about applying this idea of patience to our lives today, and this is really a question that Christians, I I think, have been debating ever since Jesus said, turn the other cheek, okay? Um, If people are being oppressed and killed, okay, And we, as Christians, have the power to stop them through some sort of means of violence or something like that. Should we use violence in that situation? Or is violence us not being patient in our enduring of evil? Um, Or us not leaving vengeance to God? And I want to point out that there are many faithful Christians who are on extreme opposite ends of the spectrum. There are faithful Christians who would say, under no circumstances, even if I and my family is being threatened with death, is violence ever acceptable? And there are people on the other side who say, yes, there are situations where where violence would be acceptable to deal with some of these situations. And it's not my intent today to, to get into unpacking all of this. It just there's there's a lot of people who've been debating about it for centuries. Um, But it is an important question and it's something that we definitely need to be in prayer about and consider, especially in light of what our passage is saying. Because ultimately, that God's command in this passage for Christians who are facing very real oppression, very real suffering, death, is that God called them to be patient in their endurance of evil. We must remember that God has been patient with us and it makes sense that we also are patient with others. But again, the actual application of that is something we do need to continue to be in prayer about to what that actually looks like in in different situations that we may be encountering. Now, before we move on in our passage, I want to jump back to verse nine, um, which says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Well, why do we grumble against one another? Do you have any idea why we grumble? I mean, I think typically, we well, well, what? We don't get our way. Okay, we don't get our way. Um, we're, we're usually being critical about people in some degree or, or about something that's happening, which is kind of the same idea. Um, we may just not like how somebody's doing something. Um, and really, I think that that's just another way of saying that we're, we're judging either a situation or an individual and how they're doing things. And we're familiar with passages such as Matthew 7, 1 through 2, which says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, Jesus also says in John 7, 24, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, Nathan talked a lot about judging in the the past several weeks, Um, and he gave us a really good biblical perspective on what that looks like to, to judge one another that we're not to be judging based on our own thoughts, our own opinions and ideas and perspectives. But ultimately, it is God who is the judge overall. And anything that we are doing is really just going to be a reflection of, of what he says. Because we're all, we're all under that same umbrella of judgment. So we can't cast judgment over here and not expect also to fall under that same thing. And as a result, we really need to approach this with a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, as we would hope that when it comes to our own sins, we are also approached with mercy and grace. It says this in Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So in verse 9, when James is telling Christians to not grumble about each other, to not judge one another, and again, that's an improper and biblical judgment, um, so it's, it's talking about that. But the thing is, is sometimes when grumbling happens, it's not so much because something is being done wrong. It's just because it's not happening fast enough, okay? Um, and really, if you think about it in that way, it, it ties back into this idea of being impatient. Really, we're grumbling because we're just impatient with the situation. If you think about the Israelites leaving Egypt a lot of their sin was really impatience. Uh, God said that he would provide for them, and they knew this, but he wasn't providing for them in a way, and in many kinds, just in a time frame that they would prefer. I mean, if you think about when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, and he was getting the the Ten Commandments and the law from God, what happened is the Israelites were impatient, ultimately, and they went and they started, they made a, a golden calf and they started worshiping an idol. So the people grumbled about Moses, they grumbled about God, So not only is verse 9 telling Christians to not judge one another, but it's also calling us and and tying into this idea that this whole first section of Scripture is talking about, that we need to be patient. Patient with a brother and sister in Christ who may be sinning against you, or really even others, maybe they're not even Christian, who's sinning against you, as well as if things are not happening in a time frame that we would prefer. At the end of verse 9, it says, The judge is standing at the door, which parallels that verse that we were talking about earlier, saying that the Lord's coming is near. Um, God is ultimately going to deal with all wrongdoing. So the the takeaway from this first passage is, is regardless of what we're being confronted with, what we're being faced with, the type of oppression that's in our life, we are called to be patient. Long-suffering, slow to anger, patient in enduring evil. And these are actually all characteristics, if you think about it. They're all characteristics of who God is, okay? And as we are called to be more Christ-like, these are all characteristics that we should be seeking to embody as well. So the next section in the passage, and and the the tail end of it here, it it sort of switches gears for us. If you look in verse 12, um, it's starting to talk about swearing oaths. And it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else, All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And Jesus actually says something very similar. If you look in Matthew, uh, verse 33, starting there through verse 37, it says, again, you have heard that it was said long ago, do not break your oath, but but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. There's two quick things I want to focus on here about this this last section. The first has to do with integrity and commitment. If I say I'm going to do something, and then I don't do it, what does that make me? A liar. Yeah, I'm a liar. Basically, I'm saying something with my mouth that I'm going to do, but then my actions don't follow it up. And so, whether I'm intending to do it or not, you know, this is this is a poor representation. Um, I, I'm just not following through commitments. It is essentially me saying an untruth. Now, of course, none of us is going to be perfect, and and it is possible that we are going to make commitments that we are ultimately going to break because of something happening, all right? But even in this, we are still representatives of Christ. And if we're demonstrating a pattern of not fulfilling our commitments, so we're saying yes to doing things, and then we're just not doing them, we are representing the body of Christ at best as being unreliable, and at worst as being a bunch of liars. So not a good thing. But the second part in this passage is talking about swearing oaths in general. Why do people take oaths? Like, why, if you go into a courtroom and they ask you to swear on a Bible, why are they doing that? I mean, really, as I've thought about this, I think ultimately it comes down to they don't otherwise expect you to tell the truth, okay? It's like, this is the only way we're going to get this person to tell the truth, so we're going to make you swear on a Bible. In reality, the very insistence of requiring that somebody take an oath or something of that sort, some sort of a promise, reveals something in the character of the individuals involved. If we have to take an oath or make a promise to actually follow through on a commitment, the real problem is that we're not trustworthy or reliable to begin with. Okay, that's the real issue here. But the the additional problem is that if an individual was to swear by something, in particular, if they're they're swearing by God, they're swearing by the Bible, um, and then they break that oath, not only are they demonstrating that they are untrustworthy and unreliable, but you're also essentially profaning what is holy in this case, okay? You're essentially saying, I am promising this in God's name, and then you're breaking the promise, which is, is almost like lying in God's name, and that's why, as followers of Christ, and we read in this passage in James, that we are to, to not be doing that. We are simply to be letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Now, I want to briefly add to this that simply choosing to not say yes to anything and thereby not committing yourself to anything is, is missing the point of this passage. Um, Jesus is not calling us to be noncommittal, committal um, because that too would be a poor representation of Christ and his church. Because there are many things that as Christians we, we have to commit to. I mean, how are you going to go make disciples of nations as Jesus commands if you don't commit to doing anything? I mean, even, even to hold a job, you have to make commitments. So, so commitments are a natural part of who we are and, and what we do in our you know, lives outside of this building, but also as, as followers of Christ, things that we do. Commitments are a necessary portion of our daily lives. And although there is wisdom in not haphazardly entering into a billion commitments, at the end of the day, we do still need to make some commitments. And this passage is really hitting on that when we do make commitments, we need to stick to them. So we have two big takeaways from from everything that we've looked at here. All right. First takeaway in the in the first section of scripture is that we are called to be patient. God is patient, and, and he asks us to be patient despite sufferings. Difficulties that we face, oppression, like the prophets before us and like the, the brothers and sisters in Christ in our passage. We, we are, we're told not to grumble against one another, but to be patient with one another. And I really encourage everybody to be in prayer about this. I mean, a lot of times we don't really like to talk about patience, but but remember, this is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. and And really, this is something like all the fruits of the Spirit, that we should be praying that we are... Um, embodying more and more and really asking God to, to teach us and, and pour himself into us more so we can show more patience um, in, in, a, in a godly way. Um, and we also should be in prayer about what that looks like on, on a broader stage, on a global stage, when we uh, encounter situations like you know, terrorist situations or those hypothetical type of situations which rarely ever happen but could happen What, as followers of Christ, in light of passages such as this one, are we really called to do? Um, Are we we called to be martyrs? Are we called to do something to, to stop this type of oppression? It is an important question because this passage here seems to give a very clear indication to these Christians, even though their oppression was very real and their suffering was very real. The second thing, second takeaway, is that we are called to live such that our yes is yes and our no is no oaths should be unnecessary for the follower of Christ. Now, unfortunately, most of us have probably adopted rather casual attitudes about this. And I think that, you know, myself included, we tend to make promises just because that's kind of how the day works. You you make promises, you make commitments, and then you break them. Um, We really need to be in prayer about this too. Um, We need to ask for guidance and and strength so that we are fulfilling our commitments such that our yes truly is yes and our no is no. Um, I'm going to pray, and then, like I said, I, I have an announcement to make that's going to be a little bit lengthy. I'm still going to try and get us out of here as close to 12 as possible. So don't get up after I finish praying. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for these words, and um, we just thank you for this, this message that you have called us to be patient. Uh, despite how our, our blood may boil at times, uh, at oppression that, that we face and others face, Lord, You still call us to be patient, Lord, as you have been so patient with us despite our sins and the evil that we have done in the world, ourselves. Lord, help us to more correctly reflect you to this world. Lord, give us the wisdom to understand and, and apply this teaching to our lives. And Father, I also just pray that you would give us guidance when it comes to making commitments. Lord, help us to, to know when to say yes and when to say no and to really recognize what that means, that we are not just making a simple commitment, Lord, but we are true representatives of you in all that we do, Lord, and we want to be the best representatives possible. So Lord, give us that strength, give us that wisdom. Lord, we just thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.